he talks with his hands just for the listener he talks with his hands dude he has hit that microphone <laughs> he, seven at least, at least seven, seven times. times and you can see he was really good in the boardroom because he's got the big gestures the right. big hand gestures right. but he keeps bawling. i love him i love him being in person but i'm thinking of the niche i'm gonna bring is probably i'm gonna bring pencils every time he hits it i'm just gonna throw pencils out of <laughs> get, get, get that nail gun out yeah <laughs> start dancing big boy start dancing <laughs> No, I, I know I've been through all. Actually, it hasn't. It, it only has hit me because every time you hit it, Alan gives me the started look. I'm like, don't worry, the sound won't even. Really <laughs> That's so. Now everybody knows because we just talked about it. But back to welcome to the Small Business Safari, where I help guide you to avoid those traps, pitfalls, and dangers that lurk when navigating the wild world of small business ownership. I'll share those gold nuggets of information and invite guests to help accelerate your ascent to that mountaintop of success. It's a jungle out there, and I want to help you traverse through the levels of owning your own business that can get you bogged down and distract you from hitting your own personal and professional goals. So strap in, Adventure Team, and let's take a ride through the safari and get you to the mountaintop. Really? Really? Alan says, technology, baby. We got technology. You listen to this podcast. We're full of technology right now, man. I got technology coming out of my uh, ears. Well, and you're staring at an image of yourself, and you seem to be rather smitten with it. I am. I'm looking, I mean, I'm looking pretty good today. You know, the, the bags under the eyes are a little down. You know, I think hair color looks good. The uh, follicles aren't coming back in on the forehead. So I got a lot more forehead than I thought, which reminds me of a, a comment that I uh, just heard from my daughter as I sent pictures of my lovely trip to Tahoe and Napa. Nice. Is that she said, Dad, I need more scenery, less forehead. Nice. She's well, an awesome girl to keep Chris in place because somebody's got to do it. I can't. Yeah. So there you go. So you don't want her saying those things behind your back, right? It's I, better to just me, it comes. Get it, out. it comes full frontal. Yeah. yeah. It's um. It's right <laughs> yeah. between the ears. She doesn't hold anything back. Not a thing. Yeah. Uh-uh, not a thing. So, <laughs> so so that's what it does to keep me in check. But we are back, Alan, and we have got a great episode. Um, yeah. Somebody we that we both know. One of us knows a little bit better than the other. And it's not who you're all probably thinking out in podcast land. It's not always about Chris. But believe it or not, this one's going to be more about Alan. Mm. And <laughs> NC. And that's the shortest podcast we've ever had, guys. <laughs> we'll see you guys all later. No, I'm just kidding. We're just going to stay with it. We're going to keep doing it. we got Todd Howard in studio. And he's actually graced us in our basement, bitches, not my kitchen. How about that? Because nice. we're going to be talking about niches in the kitchens of the Niches up the, I don't know, we'll work on that later. But niches bring riches. Niches up the riches. Bitches. Niches bring riches, bitches. That's how I'm talking about it. That's the only way I've ever been able to say it. So Todd has. So I don't have to ask if we can say bitches on this podcast. Well, I guess apparently, we can. Apparently we can. We've crossed that line. Okay. Yeah. We're over. We're on it. Let's do it. Let's go. And if you're offended by that one, just go ahead and turn it off. And if you're not <laughs> and you want to learn something, stick with this, man, because you want to get better. You want to get bigger in your business. You got to figure out how bigger and better work, because as Warren Buffett said, Bigger is not better. Better is better. And Todd today is going to talk a little bit about how he helps people get better in their business by finding out what their niche is in their service market quicker. And this is going to be a pretty fun one. But before we get there. Cheers. Let's cheers. Because it's been a while. We're drinking. And you're not supposed to. Modelo's and Classic City Lager. Classic City Lager. We have an opening for a sponsorship. We will be working on that because Monday Night City Brewing, Classic City. Mm -mm. We'll see who we like. I don't know. Yeah, creature comfort's pretty strong Monday yeah. night. <clears throat> All right. You know, so we are for sale. 
I'm just going to put it out there. Speaking of niches, <laughs> we are for sale. You might see me in the corner of Cheshire Bridge here in Atlanta. But don't worry, I won't come up and ask your name, baby. As I just found out, that's the code word for you looking for some companionship tonight. What, if you With, ask somebody their name? On Cheshire Bridge Road. And how did you find this out? Uh, a friend. <laughs> I asked, I'm talking for a friend. <laughs> Actually, so we were, I one heard. of my employees told me that story. I said, dude, I've been up and down Cheshire Bridge over the last 15 years. I can't tell you how many times that's never happened. He goes, well, you're going at the wrong time of day. That's your problem. I said, well, <laughs> you probably got me on that one. Yeah, well, it's probably a good thing you aren't going down the wrong time of day, Chris. That's probably right. So, Todd, welcome. Um, you- so Alan knows you very well, but the rest of us don't. So where the hell are you from? I am originally from Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, I got to grow up in the Philippines, which was cool. My parents moved me, moved me there when I was 11. And, uh, I came back to the States and ended up in Georgia and have not left. How about that? So Philippines, that must've been a great culture shock for you at 11. How long were you there? I was there until I graduated high school. Very cool. It was a fantastic way to grow up. Yeah. If you can raise your kids in an environment like that, do it. So you, you didn't freak? I, I wasn't old enough to freak out. I didn't know. Um, About I girls yet? Yeah. I mean, they have girls there. Um, oh, really? They do. Well, there they, you go, they're, Alan. They're quite pretty. How so, about that? You're, that was very racist of you, by the way. Filipinos <laughs> have women. They have girls and women. And you, I mean, I, just a, am I going to get canceled by Filipino women Seriously, now? You're getting so canceled by Filipino women, and you are such a U.S. centrist. I mean, what are you doing, Filipinos? I'm so ashamed. Okay, good. Now that we have uh, Alan back in his place at this podcast, I'm not about Alan. Oh my God, yes. All right, now I've established male dominance again. Let me just run around the room real quick and pee around a circle, and then we'll get back to. <laughs> okay. So nice. we will get back. to you eventually, Todd. So Todd, you grew up in the Philippines. Uh, you you learned. You said you didn't know anything better. So when you came back, you felt like, man, you had the best way to go. I had culture shock when I came back. The U.S. is just a rich place. It just you know, in in the Philippines, we had a whole lot less. But there were a lot more beaches and traveling and Be- simple living. Beaches, beaches. Okay, yeah. Like, not yet. We're, yeah. Getting, we're getting to the other <laughs> soon. One. soon. Niches, not yet. We were already niches are not niches. Okay, but yeah, niches. it's a great way to live. So you and, came back, uh, go to college, start a business. What'd you do? I went to Clemson University. Okay. Uh, my parents were still living overseas. And so I went through the broke college student route. I worked at the police department. And so I worked third shift, 11 at night till seven in the morning so I could study. And then class at eight in the morning, in bed by one or two, up at 10, back at work at 11 at night. And I did that to pay my way through college. Wow, what did you do at the uh, what you do at the uh, police station? I was a dispatcher because I could sit at a desk and do the work that I needed to do. So you could study while you're dispatching. I could it was stu- usually yeah. a little slower. Yeah, unless yeah. it was Saturday night it's after slow, a football game. Yeah. yeah. Did Did you have a like a different dispatch voice? I didn't. I tried. I wanted that really deep dispatch voice, but after a while, who cares? I just <laughs> I was I was there because I could get the credits to go to to school. What was and, your dispatch uh, stage name? Yeah, I didn't have a dispatch stage name. I didn't. I got to work in a different. Um, this is Amber calling for Officer Five One One. Yeah, for a Mercedes, while. Mercedes. I got to work in a different uh, a county sheriff's office, and I delivered a baby over the phone. Oh my god, that's cool. Wait um, a minute. Yeah, for real. Did you have any idea how to deliver a baby, or were you looking it up real quick, or what? Well, you, you know, you watch enough television, you know how to do oh, it. Oh, so it, breathe and push? Water and, and blankets, and yeah, you know, you're walking through it. No, I, I had a little bit of an idea what I was doing. I was keeping it, keeping um, 
trying to keep progress going until the ambulance got there. The ambulance took too long to get there. And so the baby was born while I was on the phone with this woman. I didn't do anything. She delivered the baby. I was just trying to be encouraging, um, trying to keep the freak out factor down. Right. So you're, really on, the, on, my you're side. on the phone with the, the person giving birth. Not Yes. The... And yeah, there's, there's one other person they were passing it back and forth. It sounds like it was mayhem on that side. I was trying to be a very calm voice right. and just get them through it. Right. <laughs> I just can't, I can just imagine this because this is before the internet. You said, would you look it up? He probably didn't have, even have the internet. I mean, right. nobody's younger than us, but was that even a thing? It probably wasn't. No, so you're, no. You're like, so it was, I was AOL. So I watched, uh, I watched on chips uh, TV <laughs> and I saw it. And Ponch said, you should push now. Yes. Okay, good job. But don't boil, you, boil you some water. It, it felt right. a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get some clean water, get some towels, just be ready. Uh, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing, but it worked. It That's, worked. What a life experience to do yeah. that though. You probably got to see a lot more than uh, anybody ever really wants to see. I know this guy doesn't like to see much about the, see the underbelly of the world, but all right. So you come out of Clemson with a degree. And so obviously you went into uh criminal. Got no, I, I um, got a degree in language and international trade. I thought I was going to have an import export business. I thought I'd be a big shot, moved to Charleston uh, near a port and none of that happened. Okay. Um, <laughs> instead I moved to Atlanta and I joined a technology company. I completely bullshitted my way through the through the interview. They kept saying our technology has this and that, and they were and I was nodding, you know, furiously, like I knew exactly what they were talking about. Not a clue. And um, the president of the company that I was interviewing with asked me um, a really long question, and he meandered quite a bit. And then at the end of his question, which was no longer a question, it was a story. He looked at me and said, what was the original question I asked you? And I was able to answer him. And he said, you get the job. He was impressed that I had been able to keep track of his original question, even though he wandered all over God's creation. A narcissist. It was, it was strange. I can, I I can't follow him, but I can do what he just said. I can do what that. I can do that. The CEO did. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was going to say that could be good at that. Yeah. I think I'm going to start doing that more and more. What was my original question? What was my original question? (laughs) You know what? You're lucky enough. You remember you get to stay working with me. I mean, (laughs) I would have said, you know what? Good luck because I'm not going to work with you if that's the way you roll. Yeah. But you did. So you went, you got into technology instead of doing import export, instead of doing uh, bad boy shows uh, and doing cop stuff, you said, I'm going to go technology. Sounds like a great play uh, because technology is hot. Yeah. Well, this this was in the early nineties. So you could, I mean, technology was just the thing that was the, that was the ship I wanted to get on, even though I didn't understand it. And um, what I gravitated to in technology though, was creating products. That was something I could kind of wrap my head around. And uh, uh, I'd never learned how to code anything. I wasn't interested. I wasn't really interested in technology. I actually don't like technology very much. But creating products, competing with other um, technology companies, everybody's kind of in this race to build the next cool thing. And uh, I enjoyed that part of it. And that started, you know, me on a path of being really interested in products and product creation really through today. Well, and unique selling propositions too, right? Unique selling propositions. Yeah. Oh, that's a prompted statement. Oh, sounds like somebody might know Todd. Why don't you enlighten us on what <laughs> unique selling proposition statement? No, it's just the fact that he he focuses on on business niches now. And you know, you've heard the story of somebody who's just kind of flailing in their business, 
And because, and Christine and I have talked about that before, when you first start your business, you say yes to everybody because, you know, you can't take margin to the bank. You have to take cash to the bank, but you end up failing by saying yes to too many people. And it isn't until you narrow down what you do to be an expert in a field that you find success. And that's what Todd helps you do. So he learned about USPs. Unique selling propositions. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So let's get unique. But it wasn't a setup. It, it, it was just an observation. It was a great transition. You're, you know, you're testy. You well, should have another beer. I don't, you know what? Don't don't help him. It was not a great transition. He does not get a great. <laughs> it was a great transition. Did you notice that? <laughs> it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can tell I'm getting teamed up on people. You know what? And the podcast is over. What? No. Nope, <laughs> we'll see you next episode. All right. No. Back to Todd. So IT world did that. Build products. Build your unique selling proposition. Building that. Yep. That tool belt to get back into the entrepreneurial thing. Yeah. So did you start another business while you were in this business? Yes. Yeah, so early on, I got bored. Yep. Uh, as much as I enjoyed what I was doing, it was a nice steady paycheck. I felt like I could take a chance on something. And so a buddy of mine, uh, he was in a residential building. He built himself a cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And he has me up there one day and he's showing me this beautiful cabin that he built. He built it himself. And uh, this was... In the, uh, I'm going to say late, uh, probably late nineties. And he said, I built this cabin for 80 to $100,000. And the insurance company was just here to appraise it. And they appraised it at 160 or 170, something like that. And we kind of looked at each other and said, we can do this. Mm -hmm. How many of these houses can we build? And we started planning it. And in the early 2000s, we put together a company and started building these cabins up in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Do you have what it takes to start your own business? Are you tired of the nine to five corporate job and ready to make that leap into entrepreneurship? You need to check out From the Zoo to the Wild, the book by successful entrepreneur Chris Lalomia. This book is a unique perspective on the journey into the wild world of home services and delivering excellence in service while working in customers' homes. Lalomia shares his path to success in this industry, including proven customer relationship strategies, award-winning customer experience processes, and a unique approach to training a team of service technicians to perform at the highest levels. Whether you're a small business trying to scale or a franchise operation, From the Zoo to the Wild will give you the mindset, habits, leadership style, and customer-oriented processes to succeed as a small business owner in the world of home services. So if you're ready to take control of your future, get a copy of From the Zoo to the Wild today, available on Amazon. When you say we in building, were you actually doing the swinging of the hammers or were you doing the financing and sitting back here checking the books? I handled the subs, which was a circus. I huh. hand um yeah, imagine that. I, I, I didn't know. Well. Yeah. yeah, it normally goes pretty you know, smooth, doesn't it? Chris? Let me tell you how books, we run the subs, here, the scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have no problem with our subs. We <laughs> yeah. do exactly what they do. In yeah. fact, as, as I do this podcast, there's two of them haven't gotten back to me and it's five thirty. Yeah. He handled the, he had a construction company, so he handled a lot of that side of it. I handled the business side of it, but part of what we considered the business side of it was working with all the subs, scheduling them. And I have lots of, you know, uh, 
bad memories of driving from Atlanta up to the Blue Ridge Mountains to meet some plumber who never showed up and all of the circus that went along with that. Yeah. Were you trying to do a, a niche kind of a thing with the cabins at the time? We were. We knew. So this the, in the early 2000s, the residential market in this area was just kind of going bananas. People were, you know, building like crazy. In the Blue Ridge Mountains or in Atlanta? In uh, in the, well, everywhere. Everywhere. But in the Blue Ridge Mountains, it was picking up. But they were very high-end luxury mountain homes. We could not do that. We did not have that kind of budget. We built one spec home. Uh, we both went on, went in on together uh, a home loan, got a spec home built, and we would bring people to it as a model. The way that we got that business going is we came up with a unique um, selling proposition for investors. We went to investors and we thought to ourselves, people like flipping homes, but flipping homes is risky because you have no idea what's going to happen once you actually start the project. You could find anything. And so we thought, what if we could tap into that idea of flipping homes, the excitement around that, but take away the risk? And so we went to investors, potential investors, and said, look, we, we would take them out to this lot in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And we would say, if you buy this home, and we would have taken them to my buddy's home, and then if you build this home on that lot, and we brought a realtor with us, this home is going to sell for this much money. And here's, here's a realtor that we brought to tell you that we're not lying to you. So you, Mr. Investor, buy the land, pay us a fixed fee. We will build you this house give you the keys and walk away. You have instant equity and a realtor that's ready to sell it for you. Now, maybe people do this all the time. We didn't know that. We thought that up. And when we pitched this to people, they said, yeah, we're in. And it actually went faster than we thought. We built 10 of these inside of a year. And I'm living in Atlanta. I have a full-time job. <laughs> and my buddy, he's still got his, his construction business going. So we're kind of doing this on the side which is why we re relied so much on these subs. And so that was a very busy few years, but yeah, it worked because we had this very uh, unique model that we were able to take the investors and get them to find what we were doing. Yeah. I think that's a great way to look at it. You, you actually said this has probably been done. Before. Guess what? A lot of businesses, a lot of this has already been done before. I mean, we're not inventing the new next thing. Uh, we're not taking rocket ships up to space with people. We're not doing subs down to the, never mind. Um, <laughs> But so you had it, but it's a but little you, too soon for that one, Chris. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, but you did it, and you were able to uh, kind of dream it, believe it, and do it. We talked about that, and that's the Disney model, you know, dream, believe, and do it. But you did it. You're able to make this thing spin. You did ten in a year. So why why aren't you still doing it? Because 2008, ah. we got out barely. I mean, we had one spec home uh, still on the books, and we held it for probably two years. We sold it sold it for maybe a fifty thousand dollar loss which, you know, hurt us at the time. We're not, you know, uh, we weren't rolling in it. This was a side gig. Mm -hmm. And so we finally offloaded that last spec home. But it was a great experiment to show me what what we could do just by coming up with a, a, a conventional business and coming up with a unique angle for it. I knew nothing about construction. I still don't know a ton, but I looked at it from the business angle and said, if we can come up with a unique model for this thing, it'll work. And it did. Yeah, beautiful. I love that idea. I mean, I think in this area, in that, you know, now that place is booming, but it still is a viable idea. Anybody listening right now, hey, but that seems like a good idea. Oh, it's the, the time has passed. 
No, mm. not at all. The, of course it's not. Yeah. yeah the investors, uh, even a few years ago, came around and said, are you guys interested in doing that again? Because, of course, the homes that they had back in the early 2000s, the prices have skyrocketed. And so they've done really well. I mean, a fixed bid, you know, brand new home. That's a that's a good gig. All right. So you get out of that one. You're still in the IT thing. And then what? Yeah, got out of that one. And then I came up with a different idea um, that eventually became co-working. But of course, I had no idea what co-working was. Mm -hmm. So because I was uh, working in technology and traveling back and forth from Atlanta to the Blue Ridge Mountains a lot, I worked in a lot of coffee shops. And I remember every time I would walk into a coffee shop, there's a bunch of guys sitting around with their laptops in this coffee in a coffee shop trying to get work done. And I kept thinking, there's something here. And one day it was right in uh, Alpharetta. I was at a coffee shop and there were these four ladies. Well, wait, there were maybe three or four of us business people that were all sitting there with our laptops working just independently around the coffee shop. And in the middle of the coffee shop, there were these four ladies cackling like chicken. I mean, just really loud laughing, you know, up and down like a roller coaster. And they had built, they They're were all jacked up on caffeine, getting rid of Cheshire Bridge, going, Hey, baby, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> right. Ah, you Alpharetta. I got you numbered, maybe. Bunch of Karens. Karens. Anyway, go ahead. How, how dare they have fun in coffee shops? All right, yep. continue. And they're playing dominoes and they're stacking the dominoes on top of each other and they're building this stuff. And then all of a sudden the dominoes fall and they go all over the floor and there's this big crash. And it's a metaphor. I look at the other people who are trying to work and we all just sort of look at each other and I thought, we need a place that we can go and get work done that feels like a coffee shop. And I kind of put this model together in my head and again, went out and found an investor and uh, got a place in Johns Creek and put together this business where people would come in and pay a monthly fee to have a place to work. It's getting out of their basement, getting out of the coffee shop. And I thought that there would be this community of entrepreneurs that would start working together. And uh, maybe a couple of years into it, I was flying somewhere. I picked up a magazine, flipped a few pages and, and read this article on co-working. I had never heard the term co-working <laughs> co before, right? but obviously there's multiple people trying to solve the same problem. I was just one of them. What a great idea. So you got that up, you got that started, you got it going. Uh, did you end up selling out, exiting out of that one? Did you, what, what happened with that one? That failed miserably. I, I should have learned from my technology background and built that in an agile methodology, which basically means. Ooh, that's a $2 word there. Ooh, agile methodology. But let's mm -hmm. find out what like agile that? methodology right, let me, let me explain talks what about that means. for us contractors and real estate brokers. That's right. In you, this context. You got a real pretty mouth, Todd. Todd. Oh, easy. Easy. Okay. So um, the mistake I made is I spent most of my money to build a great looking facility to lure people in. I wanted them to see the finished product. What I should have done is I should have found three or four guys that wanted to all go in on sort of co-leasing a space and start to build the vibe that I wanted and then slowly bring people in little by little. And as a result, the business would slowly grow, but I would never uh, overextend myself on the cost. And that's what I mean by the agile method. This you know, try, learn, fix, repeat kind of a cycle that technology companies are very good at. And I was in technology and I completely blew it. I should have been able to figure that out. And I didn't, I was too excited 
about launching my dream. And so I spent all my money to put together this finished product and uh, the cost sunk me. And so I had to shut it down. Yeah. I think uh, I've heard this from another, uh, another guy who uh, went out there and bought a really big showroom and not you. I'm talking about the kitchen remodel. Yeah, I, I was going to say this, this is starting to hurt. I know, but uh, he went big time and built this really awesome kitchen remodeler. Yet his business model was never to lure people in and get kitchen uh, kitchen uh, sales off the street. But he was hoping that would become another channel. You know, if you build it, they will come. And that's what you just did. You went, yeah. if you build it, they will come. All had no to, cattle. Yeah. Whoa. What do we have? All, all, you know. All hat, no cattle. All hat, no cattle. No, you're right. Nobody's there. I yeah. got it. I got it. <laughs> Took me a minute. Woo! All right. Podcast back and going. Chris, let's pick up the steam. Let's get it going. Almost buddy. broke, Chris. I it did. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was not agile. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was using that a different way. So just keep up with me. Let's get back to this. So, but you're learning. And I think that's the thing that's very interesting about, especially where you are now in your career, is if we take it back. You've been learning ever since you went to the Philippines and always doing it and applying it and thinking about what you learned today and how you could use it in a different space tomorrow. And I love how you said twice. Well, I don't know if that was ever been done before. Oh, I, I didn't know there was a term for that. Like, I, I guess I was supposed to. Well, you're not supposed to. I mean, you're not making the market. You're making the market in your area. You don't have to make the name to have a market. So, all yeah. right, that failed. Now what? Yeah. So then I went into um, another area uh I was really interested in the idea of men's groups and I believed that there was a different version of men's groups that was possible. Most men's groups that I'd ever heard of teach guys. They basically bring guys in and say, look, you need to be a better husband, a better father, a better leader, a better whatever. And they go about trying to change men. And of course, men don't want that. That sucks. But what men eventually find in a men's group is this Uh, sense of community, these lifelong friendships. And I thought, well, why can't a men's group just go right to that? Why can't it just offer connection right out of the gate and do a really good job creating that? And so I put together a model for that. And uh, I'd been doing this for quite a while, but I, I really wanted to figure out how do I expand this to more guys? And that has really been more of a passion project, less of a business, but it was still the same kind of thing. In all of these stories, whether it was the cabins, the co-working, or uh, working, trying to you know create a new model for men's groups, I was coming up with an original idea, and I was betting big. Sometimes it bit me, but I was really trying to go for it because I figured uh, I needed to uh, really jump off some kind of a cliff and, and really get something going. I didn't want to wade into the pool really slowly. Yeah, I had somebody tell me if I started my business, if I if I try to do it on the side, do a side hustle in the handyman world, he said, if you're halfway in, you're all the way out. There's no way you'll be able to get that rolling. Uh, and in some models, there's some great side hustles out there. You know, I've been looking at some of these things. Like I always thought the ice machines, you've seen these ice machine, the igloo boxes that are in parking lots right. that make ice for people. I think that's ingenious because... If you uh, ever go to a, uh, a a racetrack or a QT or a a, 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 a auto a, a auto filling place, you know, for people gas station Atlanta, gas stations that are convenience stores <laughs> as well, the when you go there in the morning, man, that ice is getting raided by every landscaper, contractor, roofer, uh, all the trades are there, and the, the ice is just flying out of that place in the morning. So I saw these igloo things. I'm like, 
well, that's a really good idea. It's a side hustle. You could do that. But if you're going to try to really run a business and get it rolling and get it rocking and actually become a major primary income source, it's uh, do not pick handyman. Do not pick contracting. You're right. Yeah. Well, and I will say just from personal experience, Todd is kind of low playing the men's group thing that he did because he has, it's got a great website. It's extremely compelling. He has a very specific methodology in, in a way to get guys comfortable sharing their innermost secrets. Um, you know, it started off faith-based. I think there's still a component of that, but, uh, you know, he, the, the types of people that he, um, got to write some of the guides and it's again, to his point, it's, it's not there to teach you to do something. It's to stimulate conversation often, you know, about leadership and decision-making and things like that. I mean, it's the people who've been in it, it's been pretty compelling. And then to some of the lengths that he went to try to market it. I mean, when you, when you think about an entrepreneur and think about somebody just throwing 110% in, it it was Todd and uh, it was really interesting to watch. And it's kind of interesting to see this pattern continue to repeat itself to where you are today. Yeah. Now, if I wanted to go out there, you know, I'm listening to this podcast and you know what? I got a great idea. I I think I've got a group of guys that if I had a little bit more of a model, I could uh, implement that with my um, in Spain, they call it the Choca, the Choca, the Choca, which is the group of men who get together without women to talk and to share things. And also now we're canceled by Fino- Filipino women and Spanish women. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're out, <laughs> they're out, they're out, gone by <laughs> by Spanish women. You know, but could could I could I lease your model? Can I rent your model? Can I buy your model? Uh, is that available still for purchase or? It's available. Go to firepitmensgroup.com. Nice. I call it Fire Pit. All and right. it's a it's a subscription model. You sign up, and uh, you're off and running. It's ready to go. There you go. If that one tickled you, I'd say go out there and check it out. Uh, having seen these guys a little bit and what what that's produced for them and the tight knit group that they are, uh, it's pretty cool, pretty awesome. Like I said, I got to see it in Spain uh, in a different format, and I tried to explain your fire pit thing to them, uh, but my uh, my Catalan Spanish, uh, even any Spanish, is it's horrible. So I did not communicate it very well. But anyway, <laughs> I got the choca. Cool. So, uh, all right. So now we're talking about helping other people find their unique selling proposition or their niche, because what do we know about niches? Niches bring riches. Niches bring riches and bitches. Niches That's, right. Bitches. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I love it. So all niches right. to the riches. So, so while I'm working on these side businesses, I have the stable work of uh, consulting strategy, product strategy work in the technology field. And what I was helping people do was come up with product ideas. And I kept talking talking to them about niching their business. And all of this sort of came together at one point. I was working with uh, one particular company and I realized I've, I've put together a model that really helps someone figure out what they are best at doing, what they are most competitive at delivering. And uh, I started to build that out for the solopreneur, for the small business owner. And actually... Uh, uh, tested this idea. I'd been working on it for a while and I went to a conference and I would just walk into groups of people where everybody's sort of talking about what they do and it would get to my turn and I would say, I've developed a formula that helps people find their niche. And people would like, their mouths would open, they would look at me and they'd follow me and, you know, how in the world did you do that? Can you explain this to me? Um, I was supposed to catch a bus from this conference to some cocktail party and this guy was saving me a seat on the bus. I didn't realize this. And like a, like a dork, I missed the bus. 
he gets off the bus as it's leaving and comes and meets me on the sidewalk and says, can we ride together? I want to hear about that thing. And at that conference, I realized this is really in demand. If I can finish this model out and, and really take this to market, there's no, there's no really great formula out there that helps someone find their niche. People have to sort of fall into this over time just by listening to their customer and slowly making adjustments. But I thought if I could shorten that time to literally five meetings, that's, that's how long it takes me to help someone find their niche, then they know what they bring to the table. They know exactly what they're doing for the customer. We do a competitive analysis. They know exactly how to fit in the competitive landscape. They don't have to criticize their competitor. They're just sliding into their slot. They can pick their niche market. And then at the end, I help them build a product that is literally a niche product for the market they chose. So there we go. I think if you're a left-handed vegan carpenter and you're looking for a special <laughs> hammer that swings left-handed, not right-handed, uh, and if anybody knows what I'm talking about. And it has to be very light because they're hungry. Right, because they don't have any energy because they're vegan. Um, no He's got canceled there too. Yeah, there we go. Well, let's keep, so let's keep knocking them out. But let's go back to this. Go. Uh, well, I got a question for you because when you say I help people figure out what they're good at, I mean, it seems to me that most people, if you said, "What are you good at?" they'd be able to tell you. That's true, but they they can't figure out how to apply it to their business. They can't figure out how to say, if you were to if you were to ask somebody who has who is spread too thin, they have a way general focus. They're working with too many markets to pick one of those markets and pick one or two products and build their entire business on that one market and that one or two products, they would freak out. They don't know how to do that. They're, they need to keep this general focus because they feel like they need to cast that wide net and keep the business coming in. He talks with his hands, just for the listener, he talks with his hands. Dude, he has hit that microphone <laughs> he, seven, at least, at least seven, seven times. times. And you can see he was really good in the boardroom because he's got the big gestures, the right. big hand gestures, right. but he keeps balling. I love him. I love him being in person, but I'm thinking of the niche I'm going to bring is probably, I'm going to bring pencils. Every time he hits it, I'm just going to throw pencils out of it. <laughs> get, get that nail gun out. Yeah. <laughs> Start dancing, big boy. Start <laughs> dancing. <laughs> no, I, I know I've been through all, actually, it hasn't, it only has hit me because every time you hit it, Alan gives you the started look i'm like don't worry the sound won't even really <laughs> that's so now everybody knows because we just talked about it but back to finding niches so that i think that's a solid question because i think if you're listening you're like well what do you mean you're gonna help me find what i do well that's business coach that sounds like i gotta find myself this sounds hokey pokey hocus pocus da, 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 da. tell us uh, an example of maybe of one where you took them from a wide berth down to the niche and off they go yeah so um i it worked with a business coach and business coaches obviously want to play general. They want to come in and say, look, I'm going to get your business going. I'm going to help with marketing and sales and five different things. And in order to find his niche, what I, what I needed to do is help him find a unique approach where he was doing a very particular thing to help some, someone grow their business. And so as we were going through the framework, I found out that he was a pilot and I said, okay, tell me about being a pilot. And he got all excited and he said, well, when you start out being a pilot, there are all of these rules around being a pilot because obviously you're trying to minimize risk. And so in the beginning, you can only fly a certain altitude. You cannot go into clouds. You have to be able to see the ground. And then once you learn how to read the instruments and you get some more skills under your belt, 
then you can fly into the clouds and take more risk. And he summed it all up by saying, uh, learning how to fly is all about learning how to manage risk. And so we made his business coach, we tied that in with his business coaching and said, look, what you can do if you want is you can help people start and grow a business by managing risk because there are people that are horrified to start a business. They would love to, but they're scared to death. They're going to lose their nest egg. They're going to, uh, it's going to affect their relationships. There's all these risks. And so what you need to do as a business coach is take the unique approach of saying, I will help you build your business by managing risk. We are all about looking at the risks and minimizing those. The goal in year one is to survive. And then in year two, we're going to take on a few more uh, risks and we're going to take that next step the same way that a pilot would work through his flying career. And so that's a unique approach that has him working with a very specific market, people who are at a stage in life where they'd, they'd love to start a business or need to start a business, but what holds them back is the fear of the risks that they're getting ready to take. That's, uh, I, th I think that's very powerful. And I know uh, everybody he works with needs to be listening to this podcast because, well, we're just that awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, well, there's that's that. exactly who we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so that has helped him, helped him focus in his efforts and his marketing strategy, because that's the other part of this, is that business coaches got to be constantly marketing themselves. And you can market yourself to, quote unquote, everybody, but that costs you a lot of money. Yeah. When when he, uh, his his earlier website would say things like, are you overwhelmed? Are you stressed? Are you nervous about your business? And every business yes, coach in the yes, world says yes. these things. I mean, all business coach, I would say 95% of business coaches' websites and marketing copy look exactly the same. They don't stand out at all. Now that he's gone through this process and understands his ideal niche, he's rewritten everything that he does and he's picking up business with a very specific market. Right. He's that risk guy. And that identity has given him a focus that gives his business traction. It's funny. It sounds so counterintuitive, just what you just said. Because, you know, basically, instead of throwing out this marketing to all these people that might need coaching, I'm I'm actually going to intentionally not appeal to 80% of them. But the 20% that I do appeal to, it's going to be very compelling. Yes. It, your customers, regardless of what business you're in, your customers have access to way more uh, suppliers and vendors than you know, has ever been. And so if you can't stand out to them, if you can't really deliver a message that's going to resonate with them at a pretty deep level and pretty quickly, you're out. And so I don't like the idea of playing this numbers game where it's give me the biggest funnel you can possibly give me and let me throw everybody in the universe in it and I'll work them through my machine and the, you know, the business falls out the bottom. I don't like that. I like the use the scalpel, aim, find a very specific market that you understand really well and and build your marketing for them and and deliver an approach uh, that shows up in your products that you built for them. I think as as you work with people you can tell that I mean if there's something something you want to get involved with with Todd you can we'll find a, we'll get his information out to you. You can just tell that when you work with him number one he cares about your success as well. If you can't get that coming through it's easy to see here in the uh, in the room with him but you can hear it as well. But number two, the, the niches part is such a hard thing because in the beginning, especially when I started my business, uh, Alan alluded to it, 
I'd do anything to anybody at any time. Big whore. I would do anything because big whore. I didn't know. I was. Thank you. Yeah. What I was like, just in case you were just you were a big fat whore. I was too. Yeah, and I would do anything to anybody. But it's hard to find it because you got to go there and you got to do the trial and error. You got to do that. And so the question I've got for you is: I did it through trial and error. How would you have helped me go faster? I would have taken you through this framework that I've got. I would have taken you through these five steps. So I'll I'll walk you through them really quickly. The first one is we talk about your unique abilities. You should never go into anything unless you can specialize in it. We're just, we're now in that kind of an era where you need to be a specialist. So we start there. The second thing we do is we, we look at your understanding of the customer's journey. The customer's journey is the larger over uh, arching story that a customer is involved in. It will involve a transaction, but you don't want to get focused on the transaction itself. You want to understand the larger journey. When you do that, you see that there's lots of opportunities in the customer's journey to provide value and therefore stand out. The third thing we do, we we sort of start to hone this unique approach. Then we take a look at your competitors. When you're working with competitors, your job is not to get in the ring and start fighting your competitors for business. That's ridiculous. That is a losing proposition. You need to figure out how to finish this statement. Whereas they blank, I blank. And you should be able to answer that question for your top five competitors so that when you're in a sales conversation blank, with somebody. Blank, blank. I was writing this down, guys. So let blank. me blank. Sorry. So what words came to your mind when he said blank? Suck. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. And yeah. I. And you. Kick their ass. That's right. <laughs> Scorched earth, slasher tires, pestilence, death. Taking them all out, baby. Yeah. All right. Continue. Yep. Sorry. Yep. This is like Mad Libs. Remember that? Yeah, that's exactly blank. what it was. I, and as soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, I'd give a million dollars. No, it went through Chris's mind as I, soon as he said I did. I, actually, I wrote down, they suck. <laughs> I went, oh, blank, blank, blank. Whereas they suck. <laughs> yes. That so was you three. That was three. Okay. You, See, you work out the competitive stuff. I'm writing them down right. and yep. I'm going to get them all in the show notes. Keep going. Yep. Because you guys, we can all do this ourselves. <laughs> we'll find out in a minute. Keep going. The fourth one is we pick a market. And this always surprises people. When people want to think about their niche, they want to pick, pick the market first. They want to say, I want to work with these people. And then they try and reverse engineer a product that those people would want. The problem is if you do that, you might reverse engineer your way into something that you can't do very well. Back to your unique abilities. That's right. Now Solid. you can't specialize in it. So we actually figure out your unique approach first. And then we say, or we ask, which market is best suited for your unique approach? Then we pick your market. And the last thing that we do is we actually start building products. Your product should not be general. A lot of people will try and have a general product and then have niche marketing. And that doesn't work. That's always a letdown. People look at your marketing and they get excited and they think, oh, I found somebody that's really, you know, they're really pushing my buttons here. And then you get to their product and it looks like everyone else's. So an example of this, you told me the story of the carpet cleaning company. Is this a good example of this? Yeah. Yeah. I worked with a, with a carpet cleaning company and they had a technique that um, got the carpet clean without using soap. And it it took care of all the bacteria. It was, it was a very interesting, interesting story how they did this. They're based out of New Zealand. And uh, uh, once we figured out their technique for cleaning carpet, 
we realize that it's perfect for um, elderly homes, uh, old folks' homes. I don't know the, you know. Assisted living. Thank you. Assisted living. The young youth challenged homes. Yes. Young youth challenged homes. Probably where we're going to be before it's all said and done. I mean, (laughs) of course, we're going to be, we're going to be in them, but that's what we're going to be calling them. Because heaven forbid we call them assisted living. We can't do that. That's a, we can't use ADA anymore. It's going to be comfort high toilet. I just got done telling a guy this in the bathroom rebuttal estimates today. I go, well, they're, they used to be called ADA toilets. Now we call them comfort height because who, I mean, who really wants to go down those extra three inches? I don't. <laughs> uh, so I said, it's good for all of us. Uh, so anyway, back to uh, New Zealand and cleaning assisted living homes. Yeah. So he, well, he just figured out his unique approach. We work with that with work with that market. And so he's been marketing around uh, in New Zealand He's doing very well. Um, his biggest competitor offered to purchase his company because he's really been able to get into that niche and uh, do quite well. And no one else has been able to do that. Well done. There's a great example of, uh, again, you can go onto YouTube. You think you gave us all the secret sauce. Uh, you you guys will put the five steps out there and I'll challenge every one of you. I mean, can you do it? Sure. Can you guys go change your own toilet? I bet you could. Guess what? My lake. Guess what? It'll it probably... still wobbles like the yeah. one I did. I guess, I guess it's going to take you eight hours. And uh, if you called a plumber, I bet you they have it done in a couple hours and it won't be leaking. So that's why you want to think about, uh, listen to this approach. You could probably try to self-implement. I've done it with traction. Uh, but if you listen to it and you want to get some help, we know where we can get some help. So where can we get some help, Todd, and help us bring niches to get the riches? Yep. A couple of places. Uh, my website is growanichebusiness.com. Uh, people can find out about this program and schedule a call with me and hear more about it. Or you can follow me on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Grow a Niche Business. And uh, I'm putting out information like this, well, close to daily. Awesome. To help, help, help people out. This has been uh, this has been really cool. I think actually sharing the uh, the framework, again, just like anything, you want to build your own house, you can yeah, you want to go out there and develop property and find investors? You can. You want to talk to somebody who's been in there and done that already and done it with a bunch of IT companies and worked on that. One thing I will say, though, is he said products. I would also argue, especially in my business, services as well. It can definitely map to Absolutely. that very easily. I am, I am lump, I'm lumping all that together. Well, and the thing that really strikes me is, is if you're starting a business today and then you look out at the landscape and there's there's a competition no matter what you choose to do. And then there's some people who kind of seem like they own the marketplace. And so taking this approach, you're not taking on Goliath. You know, you're just taking on this little niche. Not at all, because Goliath cannot do the kind of things that you can do if you're a solopreneur. Right, right. That's why this other guys want to buy him because he's become so in that New Zealand thing. I mean, what a great play. He can afford to focus on that one market and do quite well. Goliath can't. Yep. And that's why it's made him more, uh, they're back to exit strategy, back to how do I get more out of this? How do you do this? And again, we say it all the time. It's the niches bring your riches and you've done it. So go out and figure out how to grow a niche. Let's get out there. Talk to Todd. He's willing to talk with you. You can figure it out what's going on. But before we let you go, we have got to ask you our famous four questions and he's bringing it out because he's done his research. He's got his glasses on ready to go. This is a timed exercise. Number one, give us a book that you would Refer to all of our listeners. He looks so studious with his glasses on and his notes. My IQ went up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, it did. Right you now, so smart. Um, a book that I enjoyed, uh, a little dated, The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Um, maybe it's the technology background in me a little bit, but uh, I liked the, uh, he did a good job blending the idea of building a lifestyle and building a business at the same time. 
And I've recently been focused more and more on that. I like that. Sounds like a book you subscribe to. I uh, I have the four hour work week, actually an audible. And I, I do the four hour work week, but I do it. It's funny enough. I do it like five times a day. So <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I totally embrace it, but I figured if I'm doing it five times better than him, my four hour work week, five times a day works out really well. So, uh, so I have listened to it. I get what he's saying, you know, prioritize, put yourself in that lifestyle of what you want to become. And unfortunately my lifestyle is I want to burn the candle so hard at both ends that there's nothing left at the end of the week. <laughs> wow. How'd I do? All right. Number two question is That's all you need to know fav- about Chris right there. What's your favorite feature of your home? I, I'm going to choose my office. And it's really about my desk. I've got my wife bought me this very cool old antique desk. And uh, someone, I don't even know uh, this machine, but the old sewing machines that they used to bolt down onto the floor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's the platform of that sewing machine. Yeah. Those are the legs of my desk. And the tabletop of my desk are the floorboards that they took out of this old building. And this guy put together this beautiful desk. And I love I love sitting there. I love that old antique. Do you know exactly where it came from in the world? I don't. And he told the story. And I think I have it written down somewhere. I think the story makes it so much better. Yeah. But it, uh, and the reason I say that is because if I told you that I was currently using a desk that Ronald Reagan used at one time, you guys would go, man, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no flipping. And I, he I probably made it up. <laughs> And charge me an extra hundred bucks for the story, but I don't care. But the story back to niches and telling the story with your business yep. because people buy the story, but I would love to hear that story. And, and the reason I do ask is because with my manufacturing background, uh, it did probably come from the Northeast. It could have possibly come from the textiles of North Carolina. And if the, if it came from the textiles of North Carolina, those all came from the Northeast and they've moved on down here. So it's a really good long story. And how much is it worth, Chris? It sounds like we're on the antique pickers show. We are. And so, uh, and you know what you got to do? I just used this in my sales training this morning. In the picker show, you got to get him to get one thing. You got to get one thing. Yeah. Guys, call Todd. Get one thing. Get a 30-minute call in with him. Because once you get him going, then we're going to start bringing it in. We're going to start buying signs. We're going to buy some of the Elvis memorabilia. I'm going to get that gas tank that I've always wanted to get that was from the 1930s. Whoops, I got off the All right, let's yeah, get back to yeah. Todd. Okay. I took off. I you can tell I watched the picker show. Mm-hmm. All right. So back to Todd. Question C. All right. Question. We have four questions. And number C is what is a customer service pet peeve of yours when you're the customer? Thank you, Alan. When experts won't play the expert. What really? That, what does that mean? Yes. Um, so it goes back to the subcontractors with the cabins. And uh we'd hire an electrician. And we would assume he would do intelligent things like put the light switch next to the door <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. And, and one guy, he put the light switch next to the door that leads out to the balcony, not the main door of the house. And I said, Bill, this only makes sense if customers can fly. Can you fly, Bill? <laughs> and we, we got in this huge argument. And my partner, you know, he's getting out of his truck. He's coming up and getting me, getting in between me and this other, this uh, electrician. And of course, the electrician said, you guys didn't give me a blueprint. You didn't give me any instruction. And I I got so angry. He said, Bill, you're an electrician. You're a master electrician. We are paying master electrician dollars. You don't need a blueprint to know to put the light switch next to that door. And of course, you know, that we didn't, the relationship didn't really take off after that. Hmm, Surprised. Yeah. I'm shocked because 
Anytime somebody says, well, Chris, can you shove a flubber up your feather up your ass and fly up there and fix it? Yeah, that's uh, because yeah. that's the phrase I use. I'm like, I don't know, dude, you sold it. So do you want to put the magic feather up your ass and get up there? Because I don't know how to get to it. Yeah. So <laughs> when when I hire someone who, who says I am an expert at this, trust me, I want to be able to trust you. Be the expert. Don't don't, you know, make a dumb mistake and then come back and say, well, you didn't tell me so. If it's a question that I didn't think to ask, you ask it and, and, you know, let's so get, if you're hiring somebody to be an expert. You expect them to be an expert. Correct. Got that's it. a good one. Correct. Yeah, like and you're that. willing to pay. Yeah. That's a, that's another new one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm impressed. You're uh, but I still like my feather up the ass. I do too. That's a better analogy. It's a, it's a great visual. It's a better image than you and a unitard. That's, that's right. For sure. it's, it's a singlet. It is a singlet. <laughs> by the way. And I don't wear singlets and I do not do power lifting, but had I did it, I would have gone full singlet uh, and left all the hair under my arms. Right, back to the feather. Right, back, back to that feather. Okay, back okay. to feather. Feather. All right. <laughs> Last question. Give us a DIY nightmare story. Yeah. So for this, I um, painted a wardrobe. I spray painted a wardrobe in my garage. And I thought that I had this figured out. I took this large wardrobe. I put it in my garage I closed the garage door because, of course, you don't want stuff floating in and getting on the wet paint. And I went to Home Depot and I bought the sprayer, you know, to try and make a, you know, get a nice quality coat. I didn't ventilate anything, though. And so once I started spraying, my garage filled up with paint. It got all over my goggles. Fortunately, I was wearing a mask, but I was having a hard time breathing. And then I'm walking through the garage with my hands, you know, stretched out because I'm completely blind, <laughs> covered in paint. And, this is and I'm bouncing to the, into the walls. And I just didn't, I couldn't, you know, afterwards I thought, how would I have done that? How would I have ventilated to paint this thing without letting all the flies come in and get on this wardrobe? So maybe you can explain that to me. I still don't know how I would have done that. Positive. But... You, you, uh, you either get everything out of the yard and blow it out because uh, it'll dry by the time it hits. As long as you're blowing out, the bugs won't be coming in. Yeah. That's one. Or uh, or you just do one opening and then you do a HEPA filter. But uh, my mental image of you, I could just see that. I was waiting for you to say you passed out because you forgot to put the mask on. I was waiting. I was waiting for I had I had because I have painted and when we were done, even though I had a mask on, I had the little trails of white coming out yep. uh, from the nose. Like I had sniffing snow, <laughs> sniff, sniffing cocaine for like 25 hours with Scarface. And I'm sitting there going, Dad, I feel a little high. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> that's back when we were painting with lead, too. But that's oh, another God. story. <laughs> Explains a lot. Oh, I, even better. I used to scrape it all off with a heat gun. Hmm. Yeah. We didn't need masks for that because boy, it wasn't going to splatter up. We need a mask for that stuff. <laughs> Todd, this has been a fun episode. If you didn't learn something, I keep saying this, but that's why you're listening, right? Let's have a little fun. By the way, not in my kitchen, in our basement, overlooking the pool. How about that? Yeah. Big Daddy feeling big. Wonder if his podcast is top 10%. I little freaking troll. Yeah, you little troll. Is your podcast your 10%? We are, basement we are with literally no, no pants on. We are literally 10 downloads away from being in the top uh, 5%. Wow. That's how close we are. So, but we brag. Of course we do, because you know what? We know what the fuck we're talking about, guys. I mean, we bring people on who know what they're talking about. They talk, we listen, we ask a few things, we get involved, we do this stuff, learn something, get better, because each and every day, if you get better at things, we said eight things, got to do eight things to get better. 
Yeah, eight things a day, once an hour to advance your business, and you'll be you'll be fine in sales. Right. So, um, does a nap count? Advance your business, Chris. All right, but I thought the sleep cycle. No. <laughs> no. Oh, all right, all right, guys. This is good stuff. Niches bring riches. Go figure it out. Grow a niche. Go check out Todd Howard because I got to go figure out how to niche my business down because after 15 years of doing this and being in 16,000 houses, which I've told my sales guys over and over and over so much that they've all repeated it this morning to me. The minute I said it, I said, now we're all learning. Go out there and I got to figure out how to niche my business down. I'm out of here. We got to get going. Go. Cheers.